Well, uh, like I said, I'm so thankful for church family. <laughs> thankful for the opportunity for our family to go and have vacation. And, and during the same time, Annie's gone too, and the church still continues on. That's great. <laughs> we come back, the building's still standing. That's good. Anyway. And so, yeah, and then I, what I did, though, actually, and, and maybe it was not so covert, but I... I got online just to check, uh, see how things are going, and uh, it was so wonderful being able to be online in a way of being with you guys still. And uh, uh, the band did great, uh, the music was wonderful, and, and Carl did a great job as far as coming and sharing God's word on extreme kindness, and I, I think that was great as far as for us to re be reminded of those things. Uh, he shared from David's kindness to Mephibosheth. Uh, for Jonathan's sake, of course, because David and Jonathan had that great relationship. And, uh, and he shared four things about that kindness that I just want to remind you guys about, too, so you don't uh, forget what happened last Sunday and be able to continue and carry on through this week as well, too. But he, he, re he reminded us that every believer can and should demonstrate extreme kindness. There shouldn't be any excuse there. We should be able to do that. And he shared four things. He said we should purpose to show kindness so in our lives, be able to do that um, and be purposeful in that. And I trust that this last week you had opportunities to be purposeful in showing kindness. He also said that our kindness must cut across social conventions and norms. There shouldn't be anything that keeps us from showing kindness to one another, no matter where they're at, no matter who they are, being able to do that, no matter what it, you know, the impact on our popularity or, or reputation, whatever, we should be able to show that kindness People and, our, and he also mentioned, too, that our kindness must bring about restoration. When we come and, and are kind with one another, that should also help them realize that there is restoration in a relationship, too. And sometimes kindness is that thing that will prompt that and be able to bring that restoration in relationship and restoration between them and God as well, too. And then finally, he also mentioned, too, that our kindness must end in true fellowship with one another. And, and that, is a, that is a key ending for that, because that's one thing I believe that we've been missing in the last year and a half, two years, being able to have fellowship with one another, be able to come together. And we're starting, we're, we're continuing to do that starting beginning, and we're trying to maneuver the pandemic and uh, all the uh, variants that happen with this as well, too. But being able to come through this and continue to navigate through this as one body. And it's, it, it, the church needs to continue on that way as one body. And when there's some, some things happening with the body and something um, uh, terrible happens or there's a problem there, we all stop and we take care of that. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And so uh, as a church body, we need to be moving together as one. And that's the, that's the reason why we've had all these messages from January on <laughs> to help us realize we need to be together on this. We need to move forward on this. We need to set aside whatever differences we may have about the pandemic, about politics, about anything else, and be able to move forward as a church. Be one. And through the fruit of the Spirit, we can do that as well, too, as we develop each one of those. And I trust that the Holy Spirit has been prompting you in the different areas of your life where you need to be working on love or working on joy or kindness and gentleness we're going to be talking about soon. But all these things, to be able to realize we need to be going, moving together as one in the Lord. And when we do that and we unify in that way, 
um, there's nothing that's going to come against us. Nothing. And we need to make sure we're strong in the Lord in that way. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Let me read that just to refresh your memory about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, we're going to talk about today, faithfulness, gentleness, and the good one, self-control. <laughs> yes. And against such things, there is no law. Um, I heard Carl mention something about if I've had you memorize that yet. You know, that's a good idea. <laughs> and so he mentioned that. I encourage you, if you haven't yet, put that verse to memory because that can help you throughout your, your, your weeks and days ahead to be able to be reminded of where we need to be, what we need to be working on. So as we continue to look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, we come to the next one, this one called goodness. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, goodness. I remember as a soccer player at George Fox, we, uh, we would have some of these games that were pretty wild, and, and uh, I played defense, and so I didn't score at all in my college career, but I kept people from scoring, and <laughs> that was my job. And so uh, there were other times, though, where I would make mistakes on the field during a game, and from my mouth I'd say, oh, goodness, and that would just be the expression I would use for my mistakes on the field. Well, my, <laughs> my teammates would tease me about that. He said, oh, goodness. Wow, careful with your words, Jim. You know, it's like, okay. But anyway, uh, goodness is the fruit that makes people liked and even lovable by others. It's, it's what is attractive and appealing that catches people's attention and respect. You probably recall in the Olympics a guy named Isaiah Jewett and another runner, Nigel Amos. Um, Isaiah runs for the United States, and um, Nigel runs for Botswana. They are in an 800-meter race. You probably saw that race on TV, possibly, if you've been watching the Olympics. But the race was happening. These two guys were up there to be able to, to uh, uh, probably get a pretty good score up there in, in coming in pretty high in the, in the end there. But uh, they were coming around that second, uh, that last lap and coming around for the last uh, 100 meters. And on that curve, their legs entwined and they tripped. They both went down and everyone else kept on running. And it, 100 meters, you can't make up that. You can't, it can't be like the, the, the girl or the runner girl, Hassan, who <laughs> fell on the 1500 and she made up that lap and continued and, and won that, that heat. But these guys couldn't. It's 100 meters left and there's no reason, no way to be able to win anything. And so as they sat there on the, on the track, uh, uh, Nigel Amos from Botswana was apologizing to Isaiah Jewett, and, uh, and they just, uh, Isaiah said, well, let's just get up, let's go, let's finish the race. And they ran on down jogging together, and Amos, um, uh, Nigel Amos, the Botswana runner, uh, backed up a little bit to allow uh, Isaiah to cross the finish line first, because that's how they were when they tripped. And uh, anyway, the thing about it, Isaiah Jewett was interviewed later on about all this. And he said, I always have to finish a race. He said, I got Nigel up as well. I could see that he was devastated. He apologized to me. I told him, let's just finish the race, man. And he said, at the end of the day, I was super frustrated. I was so mad because I felt like I had a chance. I learned from all the superhero animations I watch, regardless of how mad you are, you have to be a hero at the end of the day. That was my version of trying to be a hero. Stand, and he says, standing up and showing good character, even if it's my rival or whoever I'm racing. 
I don't want any bad, uh, anything uh, going on bad because that's not what heroes do. They don't do bad. They show their humanity through who they are. They show that they are good people. And that is, that's the, that's the thing. Um, goodness is attractive and appealing. It catches people's attention and, uh, and respect. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you did, your attention was caught a, a number of times with what was going on in the Olympics uh, for the good. <laughs> There's some of the things you're probably thinking, no, oh, not so many good things were going on. But um, as far as, uh, you know, the marathon that went on yesterday, uh, at the end, the two runners, uh, the one runner just blew everyone away and came in first. But then the two runners, the three runners were left. They're coming in, and the, one of the two runners started to go out and continue on, and one behind him, uh, the, the runner then turned around and he started waving him, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. And he would keep on running and, and they finally, those two finally passed the other one and come across the finish line for silver and bronze. But the guy that was coming in second is encouraging the other guy, come on, come on, come on, let's go. And so it, you see stuff like that going on. There was the uh, high jumpers. That was fun. High jumpers, I don't know if you saw that at all, as well too. But uh, um, uh, Tambury, I think, from Italy, and Mutaz from Qatar, they did the high jump through the whole thing, and then they wound up being tied. And so when that happens in high jump, they go back and they see how, what the misses are and, and, and when did you miss and how many times. But they're still tied when they went back, and so they had to do a jump off. Well, the official came up to them, brought them together, and they said, this is a situation, you both are tied. Um, now, as it stands, uh, you both can get gold, or you can go ahead and do a jump off and see who's going to be gold and who's going to be silver. And these guys uh, looked at each other, and the thing about it is these guys were friends. They had a friendship back uh, probably about three, three or four years developed in this. And they looked at each other, and they're like, oh, and because the official said, you can go ahead and take gold together. And you'll each get a medal, or you can go ahead and see who's going to be the gold person. And uh, they looked at each other and they're like, let's, let's get gold together. And, and the Italy guy was just exuberant. He jumped on the guy and hugged him, and they both got gold. And the thing is, is that friendship was more important than trying to be the best or whatever. Goodness. Goodness builds marriages, shows God's love to others around us. It, it's a virtue in action. And it's being a role model and putting into practice excellence in all that we do to God and others. Goodness enables us to be liked and enjoyed, even if an enemy comes against us. It is the, it is the taste of what is to come, the flavor of how we are to be. And it is our expression of worship and gratitude to Christ played out in our lives. So we can enjoy him and he can enjoy us and so that life can be more enjoyable for all. We need goodness, not just only in our lives, but also all around us. And to be able to do that, we need to let others know and share that goodness. Be good to others around us. Now, a quick look at this attribute of goodness as it is used in scriptures is pretty revealing. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, the first place you find it is uh, something where something is called good is Genesis chapter 1, the creation. You look at this, as God spoke into existence, each phase of creation, he saw that it was good. And I think the point here involves expected function. It was good because it did what it should do. <laughs> God's creation did what he intended it to do, and it accomplished its purpose. It met his expectations. 
And that is one of the basic ideas of the goodness the Spirit wants to develop in our lives as well, to meet God's expectations of us. God has expectations for you. Are you doing that? Are you living in goodness? Are you being good that way, making sure that you express goodness in that way in your life? Wherever you find the phrase in, in Scripture, this is God's will for you, you get an understanding of God's expectations for you. And so as you see that, you'll, you'll see that key phrase to hone in on that. And, and then also, too, in the Old Testament, goodness was a description of God, mainly a description of God. In Psalm 31, verse 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In Psalm 69, verse 16, he says, Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. In Psalm 109, verse 21, he says, But you, O sovereign Lord, deal well, deal well with me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. And there's this refrain that goes on in Psalm 106 and Psalm 118 and Psalm 136 that you see it a lot in there. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Sounds like a song we sing, huh? God is called good and he is good. Then when we get to the New Testament, this word goodness becomes an attribute and action for people. Uh, we've, we've looked at this scripture already, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, fruit of the Spirit being goodness is one of them. So that is an attribute that can happen within our lives and expressed that way. And if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 17, Peter is talking there about suffering for doing good. And so we have that opportunity to do good among other people. And again, Scripture kind of telling the goodness story within people's lives. Verse 17 says, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So there's that ability, that, that character, that virtue of doing good that is indicated in Scripture. Now, the Greek word, and here we go with a little lesson for you too as well. The Greek word for goodness in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is agath, agathasuni. Agathasuni. And it comes from the word agathas, meaning good and an upright, uprightness of heart and life. So it's good. And when, we, when agathas becomes the word agathasuni, it means goodness in the sense of being good to someone. So being good in, in Galatians chapter 5, 22 means you're going to be not just goodness for goodness sake, not goodness for just your own sake, but being good to someone else. That's the goodness expressed in that portion of Scripture. Goodness is truly desiring to help others. It doesn't approach or entertain sin, and it does the right thing and challenges other people to do the same. Even if the conversation is uncomfortable, <laughs> You still do good. It is decent, it is honest, it is moral, honorable, virtuous, and full of integrity. Good people don't just do the right thing, they make things right. So goodness helps us in all of that. So the goodness we're talking about is really an issue of integrity, of agreeing in, in our words and in our actions. Goodness, as it is used here, is describing a life 
of integrity. And it has been recognized that in society, there, there, is a, there is a credibility gap going on between what people say they want and how they behave. And we see it all over the place. For instance, a father might say, I want to spend more time with my children, and yet he doesn't. Or a couple may say, we want to be better at having intimate conversations together, yet they don't. Or people all the time say, I don't care that much about material possessions, and yet they continually seek more and more things. In business, a person may say, I want to be more honest. But when it comes to making the big deal or closing the sale, they say anything to get the job done. And also, too, believers in the church, Christians may even struggle with integrity at some points of their lives. But there is this tremendous credibility gap between what we, what we say we want and what we actually go after. In other words, uh, a gap between what we say and what we seek. <laughs> There's that gap there. But we aren't the first to experience this. Paul wrote about it to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 7, he says, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I have desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Maybe that sounds familiar in your life as well, too. And you're thinking, man, how do I get out of that, that cycle of sin? How do I get out of this and be able to live a life that's abundant? Uh, even, so Paul went through this. And that sense of what I want to do, I talk about it, but I just don't do it. Your words mean nothing because your actions don't follow up. Of course, we, we live in a much, much more advanced society than Paul did, and we have come up with a solution that helps us deal with the issue of our saying and seeking, not agreeing with each other. It's the phrase, it's someone else's fault. <laughs> we blame someone else. It's not me. I, I, I have other things in my life, other people going on in my life. We blame others. We, we might blame our past. If this and this other thing hadn't happened differently, then I wouldn't be like I am today. And we excuse the ways in which we are not people of integrity by, by laying blame for our actions on the shoulders of someone else. Yeah, sure, maybe father didn't treat you very well, or maybe mom wasn't there or whatever, but that's your past. Those are people you have choices. You can also move ahead in God's grace. But we, we sometimes go back and we, we, we blame others for where we're at with this. And, and that can't be. I mean, if, 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 you know, if I had gotten the promotion, if, if, I, if he hadn't treated me that way, if she had not said what she said. See, all those things have a choice in your life. What are you going to choose to do? And some situations that you go through or have gone through make it really tough to choose goodness. Make it really tough to choose the right thing, but you still have a choice, a choice in that. The truth is our past may explain why we are the way we are, but it does not excuse it. We can learn to understand why we are the way we, we are better, but we don't have to continue to live in the past. And to focus on the, on the things that we didn't have or couldn't have, we, we need to place that focus not on those things, but focus on what God has for us in our life. We can, we can ask God right, right here and now to enable us to live a life of goodness and a life of integrity by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can ask for His gracious goodness to fill our hearts. 
The Greek uh, philosopher Plato once said, you can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. The reason that people will shy away from the light is that the light reveals parts of their character that they, that they would rather not see or would rather not be seen as well. But as Christ followers, we are called to live as Christ lived. And he was a person of integrity, a person of goodness. He said what he believed and he believed what he said. And besides our, our looking like Christ, there are some other benefits of being people of integrity. And let me give you a list of some things. Benefits of, of living a life of integrity, being people of integrity. First, being a person of integrity brings protection. It brings protection. We have less to fear when we are people of integrity. <laughs> Not like the truck driver who sat next to the scrawny fellow sitting at the bar staring into his glass, and suddenly the truck driver grabs the little fellow's glass and gulps down the drink. The scrawny guy breaks into tears. The truck driver feels bad and says, oh, come on, buddy, I'll, I'll buy you a drink to replace that one. He says, no, 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 that's not it. This has been the worst day of my life. I was late to work, got fired. When I went to leave the office, my car was stolen. After I walked 20 miles home, I was so late, my wife said, that's it. You're just a big loser. I'm leaving you. So I walked here, and just when I'm about to end it all, you show up and you drink my poison. Truck driver uh, had a bit of problems with integrity there that cost him dearly on that one. But Psalms 25, verse 21 says, May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Integrity protects us. Second, being a person of integrity brings with it security or, or a greater confidence. Proverbs 10, verse 9 says, The man of integrity walks securely. But he who takes crooked paths will be found out. When you have nothing to hide, when you have nothing to hide, you walk insecure. In You're secure in that. You don't have to be worried about what might be going on, be found out. You have integrity. You do what's right, even when no one is looking. You have that goodness developed in you and continuing to develop, and you live it out. Integrity brings security and confidence. Uh, third thing is that being a person of integrity brings with it guidance. So integrity brings guidance. We, may, we make better decisions when we do things honestly and uprightly as opposed to doing things that are dishonest or shameful. You think about uh, the different things that go on in your life and the decisions you need to make. And when you make it with all, all integrity and honesty going on, there's, there's a freedom in that. And you can, you can just say, well, I, I, could have, I could have said this to allow this to happen. But when you place it in God's hands and you just say, okay, I'm, I'm being honest here and, and this is how it's going to be and, and you have full integrity in this, you leave it up to God to let it happen or, or guide it the way he wants to. But if we, and that's the thing about control in our lives, right? We want to have that control. We think we know what's best. We can, we can cut corners here because, you know, that will make things better. Well, maybe it will make things worse. Or maybe you're missing out on the best that God has for you because you decided that you knew what was best. We need to allow that just to be in God's hands. And so when we, when we uh, uh, are, are, are speaking in integrity and we live with integrity and goodness, uh, we have guidance. God's guidance brings us through. Proverbs chapter Proverbs 11, verse 3, says the integrity of the upright guides them. 
So we are guided by that. But is it really important to be people of goodness, people of integrity? You look around you, sometimes you see some people who aren't, and they seem to be pretty successful. They seem to be able to get away with a lot of things. I mean, just, for example, driving down the freeway, and you see someone uh, going past you like 50 miles an hour faster than you, and you look down at your speedometer, and you're going five miles faster than the speed limit. And you look around, and you go, okay, where's the blue and, and, and red lights? <laughs> and they're getting away with going down the road so fast. But you stick with the speed limit or real close to it, and, uh, and you do that. So why should I do that? They're, they're getting away with that stuff. Why? Maybe I should too. We stick with that integrity. We, you know, sometimes we say, who, you know, who am I hurting? It's not going to hurt anyone if I do this. I think we need to be real. Uh, I think we need to realize that it isn't, it isn't based upon who might find out who it might affect, but we need to base it upon how God will be affected in this and our relationship with him. How does it affect that? Sometimes we have our eyes on people too many times, too much, and we need to have our eyes on God and what he thinks about what we do. But integrity is so vital that every part of our relationship with others is built on this very foundation. Uh, there's an author of a book entitled The, Suc the Success Syndrome, and he said that those who achieve great success without a foundation of integrity have four probable outcomes. It's arrogance, aloneness, adventure-seeking, and adultery. <laughs> and in this book, he outlines that, and he, he, he fleshes it out. But, uh, so it, people who have great success without a foundation of integrity, those are the four probable outcomes. Arrogance, aloneness, adventure-seeking, and adultery. Amazing. Uh, those four things. It kind of comes down to those four things. But we've heard in the news recently about uh, the governor from New York, <laughs> Governor Cuomo, and how he's having some integrity issues and in things he has said compared to the things he has done. And it's like, what? what? Whoa, a politician having integrity issues? Stop the presses! Whoa! Uh, there are integrity issues that happen. But unless we forget too quickly, there have been through the years some integrity issues with people in the church, too. Nobody is immune to that, but we can be on guard and make sure that our words match up with what we do. Ministry leaders, pastors, televangelists, they've all, they've had that temptation to leave integrity and do the shortcut. Even pastors have occasionally been people who have fallen outside the bounds of integrity, and I appreciate your prayers for me being able to stay within those boundaries as well. Because I'm not immune to it as well as you're not immune to it. It can come. And as you pray for me and I pray for you and we pray for one another, we can stay on that road of integrity and do what is right. Do what is right even when no one is looking. So what does it take to be a person of goodness and integrity? What are the things uh, we are to do if we... We desire to remain Christ-like in a world that frequently says, do whatever you want to do, and it's okay as long as you don't get caught. <laughs> Let me share some things with you about that. What, what can we do? First, speak honestly. Speak honestly. From the very beginning, whenever you open your mouth, speak the truth. Speak the truth. I think there's a movie. Um, I haven't seen it, but uh, I heard about it. I think it's called Liar, Liar. <laughs> A guy, I guess, has a difficult time to tell the truth, and then all of a sudden he's able to 
can't help but tell the truth, and it's pretty blatant about the truth sometimes. Um, but we need to speak the truth. Scripture reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, to speak the truth in love. Now, some of us are really good at speaking truth. <laughs> We're really good at telling it how it is, no matter how it's delivered. <laughs> I would describe that as a bull in a china shop. <laughs> you need to realize that, sure, the truth is being said, but is it being received? The funny thing about speaking the truth, in order for it to be useful and effective, it needs to be received. You can throw truth out there, but if no one's going to catch it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. For people to receive the truth, it needs to be accompanied by love. <laughs> speaking the truth in love. And if it's in love, you care for that person. You care for that person in the 1 Corinthians chapter 13 way. You care for that person in a way where you are, are, are making sure that person is, is able to receive that truth and not just hammer it at them. Speaking the truth without love becomes what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13 as a gong or a clanging symbol. Don't be that gong or clanging symbol. <laughs> be the one who is able to express the truth in love. Speak honestly, but of course, don't forget the love part of that. We live in a time where people believe lies almost as easily as they believe the truth. And today, you know, it's kind of difficult to know what is true and what is not. All those things that are out there about the pandemic, about politics, about everything else. We have voices being, being heard all over the place. What's true? What's not? Don't be the one that's adding to the lies. Be the one who speaks truth. And if you're going to speak something that you think is true, you better be, be sure it's truth. And don't be part of the spreading of, of, of lies around us, too. Be a truth speaker. <laughs> a truth speaker who speaks the truth in love. But worse than, than, than the, the you know, lies that are out there and hard to believe the truth. Uh, we live in a world where people find it acceptable to lie to achieve what they want. There are times where I, I, I give the benefit of the doubt too much. <laughs> I go, no, that person wouldn't do that. They wouldn't lie. And then I find out later on, oh, okay, I guess I need to rethink that. But they cheat on taxes, they, they cheat on insurance claims. We know a person who burned their truck in order to, they couldn't make payments on it, burned their truck, ditched it, burned the truck, and claimed the insurance on it. They got found out later on. But it's, just, it's crazy what people will do. Anything, anything possible to benefit themselves, they'll do, they'll say. We who represent Christ cannot allow this type of behavior into our own lives. We need to be able to, we need to be speaking the truth, the truth in love. We cannot lie and should not lie simply so that we can get whatever we want, whether we're trying to get ahead or to get more favors. When you speak, allow the truth to be the only thing that crosses your lips. So speak honestly. Speak honestly. Second key to living a life of integrity is to confess often. Confess often. Now, maybe you don't always tell the truth, or maybe this morning as you listen to the message, you feel the Spirit kind of convicting you just a bit, and you realize that you need to confess that, and that's okay. That's why the altar is here. <laughs> that's why we come together. That's why we hear from God's Word, and when we hear God's truth, 
we respond to it. And if we need to confess, we confess. And first, you, know, you, you need to know what happens at the altar. First, you confess your wrongs to God. And then you confess your wrongs to the person you lied to. If you've wronged somebody, you need to go to that person as well, too. If it's your spouse, your children, your friend, your coworker, whoever it is, confess to God and confess to the person you have realized you have wronged. The scripture reminds us to confess our sins and our faults to others. James chapter 5, verse 16 talks about that. And also, too, in Matthew chapter 5, Verse 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. It's important to be reconciled with one another. It's important to have a a clear slate with one another. A third key uh, need in, in living a life of integrity is to live consistently. Live consistently. That is, our heart and our actions must be aligned, must come into alignment. And what we do out in the, in the community must match what we do at home, which must match what we do when we are here together as well. We should look the same in, uh, in that way. One of the greatest insults I think a church can ever have is to be the recipient of, of, of this comment. Those people don't live like they say they do. They call themselves Happy Valley Community Church who, who, who want to see God's love change lives, but they're not showing love. That would be a horrible statement to hear. Or to hear maybe from someone that you know of, that's, that maybe your neighbor or whatever, and say, oh, you go to church? <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know you, you're Christian. Oh, wow, okay. How come? And then they could bring up all these things. That's horrible to be able to experience something like that. But in other words, when people in the community spot hypocrisy in the church, when they see people who behave differently Monday through Saturday than they, do, than they see on Sunday, we have a problem. We have an issue. We have a hypocrisy issue. We have an inconsistent issue going on in our lives. People who live inconsistent lives demean not only the church, but also the name of Jesus Christ and his ability to change people from the inside out. Because when they look at your life and you're not living consistently, they're going to say, well, why do I need this Christian stuff when you're just doing the same thing I'm doing? What good is it going to do for me? And so we we place that obstacle in the way of their lives of coming to God. Live consistently. And fourth, to live a life of integrity. Commit boldly to do the things you say you will do. Do what you say you'll do. Follow through. This is an area that I know I, I can improve on myself as well, too. And just recently, this last week, um, I was supposed to bring a computer mouse to the sound booth for Chris earlier, and it didn't happen. I didn't get around to it, and I brought it in, and it's like, oh, man, looks like things got taken care of. Okay. It's stuff like that that I go, oh, and I cringe at. I'm working on that. I'm trying to work on making sure I follow through. And part of this issue of integrity is to do what you say you will do. Do what you commit yourself to doing, no matter the cost. As, you know, we've got, we've got minds that don't remember, though, right? And some of us have minds that remember a little, don't remember a little bit more. But the thing is, is that that isn't, that isn't an issue of, of, of will. Like, you know, I'm going I'm to wait for bringing a mouse up to Chris because I just don't think she, she cares for me. You know, I'm just gonna, and that's a willful thing. But when you forget about it, okay, well, then work on that. Try to 
put reminders or whatever, but, and I will be doing that. But uh, part of the issue of integrity, though, is to do what you say you will do. Sometimes we say, yes, I'll do that, and then we don't. And you got to work on following through. In basketball, if you don't follow through with, a, with your hand in the shooting motion, you most likely won't make the shot. It's all about the follow-through in making shots in basketball and living a life of integrity. Do what you say you will do. I'm reminded of a story about a man named Robertson McKilkin. McKilkin. He, uh, the young man, um, as a young man, he dreamed of becoming the president of Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. He adored his father, who had held his, this position, and he aspired to someday take his father's place. Now, Robertson, dream, uh, his dream came true. He served as president of Columbia Bible College for several years and did so with this distinction. He, had, he, he led Columbia to become a, a premier Christian institution that has prepared hundreds of young people for service, both in the United States as well as overseas. Then one day, this very special man realized he had a tragedy on his hands. His wife began to show symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. This was no slow-moving case, and in a matter of months, there was dramatic consequences. She not only lost the memory of much of their life together, but she was, all, she was unable to even recognize him. She lost all awareness that he was her husband, that he was her husband. And Robertson made his decision. He, he resigned the presidency of Columbia so he could give full-time care to his wife. Without hesitation, he walked away from what he loved as an act of love for her. There, was, uh, there, there, there were realists who told him there was no point in what he was doing. Anybody could take care of his poor wife, but, no, but, but, but not anybody could be president of Columbia Bible College. And after all, she didn't even recognize him when he came into the room to help her. The man's answer was pretty magnificent, though. He readily admitted that his wife didn't know who he was, but that wasn't the point, he told them. The really important thing, he said, is that I still know who she is. She is the woman to whom I promise to be there for until death do us part. Now that's what I call follow through. We follow through with what we're going to say. We do what we're going to say. Whatever we say, we follow through in doing it. I think Paul's words from Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, can motivate us and carry us through the times when we feel like giving up on developing this goodness and integrity in our lives. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. But for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We need to be doing good to all people, but especially to one another, to one another. But what can you do when you feel yourself become weary of doing good? Because I'm sure you've been there. I've been there a number of times. What can you do? I say you run to your Savior, run to Jesus. For he has said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take those feelings of frustration, lay them at his feet. And then as you do, just marvel at how he fills you with his Holy Spirit, whose job it is to produce goodness in and through you. It's not your job. Your job is to be available. 
It's the Holy Spirit's job to develop that goodness in you. And don't forget how Paul says that in time, you will reap a harvest. There have been some commercials during the Olympics, and one commercial that kind of caught my attention was Procter & Gamble. Now, you might not think much about that company, but they have some pretty good commercials. And their tagline for their commercials says, your goodness is your greatness. Your goodness is your greatness. And I think that should be probably our logo in this fruit of the Spirit. Your goodness is your greatness. How can we be a people of integrity, people of goodness, speak honestly, confess regularly, live consistently, and commit boldly? I'm going to invite Annie and the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs here. And as they do so, let me just ask you this. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of work in your life today? The goodness that needs to happen in your life? I pray that is your heart's desire to begin to live a life of integrity or to continue to live a life of integrity. Sometimes we need a little pick-me-up. Sometimes we need to come to the Lord and say, I need help. I need help to continue on. I'm getting weary. We all can get weary, and that's all right. You're human. It happens. But there's a source that you can go to to get filled up. And if you need to come to the Lord and get filled up, get a rejuvenation to continue to do good, to continue to allow God to develop goodness in your life, you can come to the altar, you can come pray, if you want to begin that, that journey of integrity, you can come to the altar and you can come pray. I just trust that uh, whatever it is that you need to do between you and God, I trust that you'll, you'll deal with it today. As it can be today for you to deal with it, you just, ask, you just need to come to God and ask Him. You're just a prayer away from any of this. So I trust that as we sing these songs, if you, if you feel led to... To pray, you come to the altar. Those who are online, if you want to just create an altar right there and just have a time of prayer with God, you can do that as well. But as we sing these, these, uh, this next song at least, just uh, listen to how the Holy Spirit is prompting you and respond in obedience.